as we start a new year, we just want to update you on a few things and uh, some new things that we're going to be doing over the next uh, several months that we're kind of launching today and over the next uh, several weeks. And as we begin a new year, um, we're going to be getting uh, next week a new uh, series, a new uh, series for the next several months. And so we're going to be sharing a bit more about that next week as we look into some changes that we're making at the Meeting Place Church and lining some more things up that we believe with Scripture that uh, we've been trying to do. And we're in that place now that we're able to do it. And so as we've been saying for the last year, we're going to be changing our bylaws and some practical things of just being a church in Canada with the Canadian Revenue Agency and being incorporated and all that to try to line up more with what we believe Scripture says. And so we're going to bring some more teaching uh, into that over the next several weeks. So that's going to be that's going to be exciting. Actually, it is. I and mean, I'll try to put uh, a good spin on it in that sense. But it really is into what we want, as the Bible says, to make disciples of all nations. And it actually lines in to that. The other thing we're going to be doing, uh, and we'll give uh, some more clarity in probably two weeks' time, and this affects our budget and what we're doing as a church as well, is that we're looking to bring someone else on full-time uh, as our church has grown, which is another incredible thing, uh, our needs have increased on many different things with pastoral care, with our kids' church, with different areas of church life. And so we believe that uh, God's uh, provided someone from within our church to come on full-time. And we're looking at doing that in the spring. And uh, so we've been able, over Christmas, uh, as elders come up with the budget uh, for the new year. And so we're going to be taking a big step of faith as we do that, as none of that was in the budget last year. And so we're taking uh, over a 20% increase in our budget for this year. And our budget runs January 1st to December 31st. That's why we need you to know um, now. And so basically what it means for you and I is this, is as we've broken sort of things down with our numbers, basically we're asking for many of you, and we can give you the specifics, to basically really consider uh, increasing Every week. So if you look at the budget, and we're going from, we had 5,100 a week uh, in 2011 was our average giving. So the, for the size of our church, that is huge, okay? Because um, I snuck a peek at some other churches that were seven or 800, and they were about 6,000 a week. So a church of 200 at 5,100 a week um, without a lot of millionaires in it uh, is pretty good, okay, for the average folk, you and I. So what that breaks down to is a lot of us, if we could give about 10 more dollars a week, um, that would help meet our budget. So depending upon where you buy coffee, that could be two lattes, or that could be five just regular cups of coffee. So you can think $10 a week. You can think, I don't know if I can do that. I guarantee you can. And uh, if you have coffee with me, we'll skip it, and we'll say, hey, that's going towards our budget. So that's a good thing. As I'm drinking tea right now, I can say that. (laughs) For some of you, we're asking you to consider giving 30 or $40 more a week, okay? So some double-income people who are able to do that, we're just being blunt and honest in order to meet, okay, 24% increase in budget, okay? It's a big step of faith. That's like $1,300 a week that we need to increase. And so I'm just trying to break it down. If you're giving zero, okay, 2 or $3 more would help with that per week. So again, we're going to be teaching into these things, but just at the beginning of the year. We just think it's important for you to understand where we're at, why we're doing what we're doing. And as Gary said, we're not afraid to talk about money. Jesus did it all the time. It's all through the Bible. And we want to teach into our priorities, being generous people, as you already are. And we're asking you to sacrifice some, and we believe to help move things 
forward for this upcoming year. And Gary's going to come, and he's going to really help speak into these things. And I'll take it over next week as we begin to put um, some things in place. So, Gary, why don't you come? And uh, Gary's got a good, really encouraging prophetic message here this morning for us as a church as we start this new year and as we get going. And, uh, again, we just want to thank Adam Langell. He did a great job last week uh, getting us started on believing the gospel. Yep, you can give Adam a hand. did a great job for both for the first time and for us as Christians to go on believing the gospel. And Gary's going to pick it up from there. All right, thanks, Gary. All right. Well, no pressure. <laughs> Uh, it's great to be here this morning, and um, it's been great to have uh, a couple of weeks to sort of recharge the batteries and uh, back to back to the grind tomorrow. Um, but I just want to—I'll do this in another form uh, later on. But uh, I know he's here this morning. Marcel LeBron is here this morning, and uh, he's uh, one of the leaders at Radiant Six now, Salesforce. And uh, over the past two weeks, and I just think it's, it just needs to be said, uh, for the past almost two weeks, uh, he, along with uh, many of his team at Radiant 6, have spent their time uh, and at full expense uh, repainting the interior of Devon Middle School. Uh, now, I've got to tell you, it is no small task. First of all, I'm colorblind, and I've got to tell you that I knew that our colors were absolutely gross. And I had many people comment on that fact. And uh, anyway, it is absolutely the, uh, it's a beautiful thing to see people giving the way they have. And Mar- uh, Marcel, you've got to know that uh, obviously God is blessing what you're doing uh, with Radiant 6 and has blessed it, will continue to bless it, but it's these kinds of leadership things that um, God is actually going to increase. I've just, I just feel like prophetically just to say to you that God is going to continue to increase what, he's, uh, what success he's given you and your company when these kinds of godly principles are instilled into your people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really an amazing thing. And so um, very, very happy to have uh, the opportunity to be able to work with you. And, and this is only phase one. They, they have another phase to do on the March break. And uh, it's, uh, it's really uh, something to see. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to give that plug. But it is an example. What's that? Absolutely. We get closer to the March break. We'll let you know uh, if you would like to help us. But... The bottom line is, is that uh, you know, this is just another example of us living out the kingdom of God and what Marcel is doing. And, and there are many in our church who work at Radiant 6 living out the kingdom of God in the workplace. And uh, you know, there's a difference. There's a real difference when you have somebody uh, in a leadership role uh, who uh, loves God and extends God's kingdom out uh, in ways both subtly and not so subtly. And so uh, really... Uh, I want to thank you, Marcel, for being obedient. Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to finish up with the book of Acts. And in fact, uh, we're going to, uh, over the past year, it's hard to believe, but pretty much over the past year, we've been uh, speaking and teaching out of the book of Acts. And this morning, I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to use a scripture as a jump off, but I felt this morning this was more of a, 
uh, to be honest, more of a prophetic message uh, for us. And so um, no apologies that it's not going to be a complete exegetical hermeneutical message this morning. But um, we're going to turn to Acts, uh, and it should be, I have a typo already to start the year, but it's going to be Acts 28, Acts 28 and verse 28. And so if you want to turn there, I have, um, my clicker should work, but it's a Mac, so it's not going to work. There we go. So uh, it's actually Acts 28, verses 28 to 31. So these are the last few verses of the book of Acts. And uh, if, you're, if you're one to title messages, I've titled this message, Without Hindrance. And uh, the scripture reads as follows. Uh, and it says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, you'll notice that verse 29 is in italics. And uh, in the ESV version, which I use, verse 29 isn't even there. It goes from 28 to 30. And I thought there was a typo in the, in the scriptures. But actually, in the most reliable manuscripts, verse 29 is not there. But it does say in verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, having much dispute amongst themselves. And of course, that just continues on with what we've seen in the book of Acts, where uh, the word of God was being preached to the Gentiles, um, you know, and, and the Jews had a problem with that. And so it just continues right to the very end. And it says in verse 30, He lived there two whole years, this is Paul, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, with, with all boldness and without hindrance. And really interesting that the last words of the book of Acts are the words without hindrance. And to that end, uh, the book of Acts um, is just an incredible testimony. Uh, and it has been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's a testimony to uh, how God started the church uh, through his disciples. Phil Moore, who's a New Frontiers leader, uh, who's writing, he's writing a series of very accessible commentaries called the Straight to the Heart of series, says that the book of Acts is not a hero story. It's a story about ordinary people and their extraordinary God. He goes on to say that it's a book that pulls no punches to inform us that without God... Uh, we have absolutely no potential at all. It's not that ordinary Christians have terrific potential, but that they have an extraordinary God to carry them. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, when we think of, you know, it's quite a bold statement to say that without God we have absolutely no potential at all. But in an eternal sense, it's absolutely true. In, it's in an eternal sense that we say these things. And we have to be people that have an eternal mindset. And all too often, we don't. All too often we have a very temporal mindset, but mindset. But really, if we're going to look at potential, it's God potential that really counts. You see, the Holy Spirit, He's active today. And if you just recall our worship this morning, uh, He made His presence felt amongst us corporately. And so it's wonderful. Uh, you know, I, 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 wrote, I wrote that sentence yesterday saying, uh, saying that, you know, that He made His, just recall our worship this morning, He made His presence felt. I wrote that with confidence, knowing that, when we worship God this morning, that He's going to show up corporately. You can say that confidently. Now, can you say that confidently in every church setting? I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't really think you can. But I do believe that it's not because we're any better than anybody else. It's not because we're perfect. It's, it's that we come here as 
broken individuals meeting as a corporate body that loves Jesus, and we say, you know what, God, we're hungry for you. We want you. And when we come in low like that, when we come in humble before our God, He does great things amongst us. And that's His pattern throughout the entire Word of God. You know, if we take that view that, um, that the Holy Spirit's active today, then Acts, though it even has 28 chapters, is actually, to quote Joe Crummy, a to-be-continued story. It's true. Joe's famous, most famous quotation, to-be-continued. To that end, the book of Acts, being the Acts of the Holy Spirit, is really a continuous story. And it's an eternal drama, full of adventure and suspense. And it really all depends on how we view things, how we view life. But the reality is, is that the book of Acts continues with us. Not that the last words of the text today, without hindrance, you know, we have those words. We're left with the story hanging because Luke wants us to know that the story isn't finished. It's a present day story as much as it's one of the past. And God is continuing it in a very unhindered way in the Holy Spirit. Now, I like words. I like uh, understanding what words mean because it always gives us more to chew on when we understand what a word means. And so I, I looked up the word unhindered. And, you know, sometimes when we read words, we, we, we know, I guess, implicitly maybe what, or tacitly what the, name, what the meaning of the word is. But I always like to look them up so that I can have a specific understanding of what the word means. And in looking up the word unhindered, basically, it leads me to the word hindered. And all we have to do is add the unto it to understand that when we read the word hindered, unhindered is everything opposite to which, to which hindered is. So to hinder refers generally to the creation of difficulties or delays that hold people back from doing something or to prevent processes from proceeding. So everything about being unhindered is opposite to that. In fact, the antonym to being um, hindered is another word for unhindered, which is to facilitate. And so I'm, I'm doing this word study, you know, I was like, this is really cool. And so, the word facilitate, in relation to the Holy Spirit, He does that. He facilitates. And to expand on the word facilitate, He makes things easier. He eases. He makes possible. He smooths the path of. He clears the way for. He opens the door for. He enables. He assists. He helps. He oils the wheels of. He lubricates, expedites, speeds up, accelerates, forwards, advances, promotes, furthers, encourages, and simplifies. So when we think of unhindered, that's what we should be thinking of. That there are certainly unlimited possibilities in what we can, what we can accomplish in God through His Holy Spirit when we're open to Him, and when we are obedient to Him. And so, in taking a look at the book of Acts, I was just kind of struck with, what can we take away from the book of Acts in relation to it being, really, the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit? And so I thought of three things, and I want to expand on them a little bit. And so the first one is that, first of all, the Holy Spirit fuels individual, and corporate prayer. 
He fuels individual and corporate prayer. It's no secret that we're under pressure. We're under pressure. The latest series of Nike ads. It's the under pressure series. Have you seen them? If you watch any of the Canada World Junior uh, Championships, which we won't go into, the whole pressure series, here are a couple of the slogans with the Nike pressure series. Here's one. Pressure makes us. Pressure makes us. Another one, quote, you must prepare for pressure. You must prepare for pressure. See, the Holy Spirit fuels prayer because he knows in his omniscience, he knows in, in his ability to know all things, he knows what's going to befall us. He knows that, guess what? That we're under pressure. And if you're not under pressure today, give it a couple days. Is there anybody that's felt any pressure this past year? Of any kind? Oh, look at See, and those of you who didn't put up your hand, you're liars. Or maybe you're just lazy because it's Sunday morning and you're wanting to relax. But could it be that the pressures of life are in a sense a gift from God? It's hard, isn't it? Especially if we don't have an eternal perspective. If we don't have an eternal perspective on things, it can seem pretty difficult. In fact, it is difficult. We have pressures on us individually. We have pressures on us financially. We have pressures on us with our family relationships, our friend relationships. But just as we have those sort of individual pressures coming against us, we also have corporate pressures as a body of believers. There are corporate pressures that we've experienced as a church, and there are going to be more corporate pressures that we experience over this next year. These are opportunities that God is going to give us to fuel our dependence on Him in prayer. See, corporately, not just individually, but corporately, we're called to respond to pressure. Pressure makes us, the slogan says. It doesn't make me, it makes us. The pressure that God allows makes us. It's real. It will come our way. Speaking about corporate pressure now. Corporate pressures are real. Church pressure is coming our way. We have experienced some of it. Should we be afraid of that? No. But what it should do is cause us to fear God. It should cause us to come into into God's presence and say, God, we need you. We need you. Over and over again in Acts, we see the early church praying together. They knew the necessity of prayer and saw the results in many miracles of power. They were in desperate situations and they saw the Holy Spirit come through time and time and time and time again. They saw people released from prison when they were praying. Saw people saved when they were praying. We've been praying for people to experience salvation in the ones and twos. Remember those prayers? Well, folks, 
we can't be satisfied with the ones and twos. Although we are happy when people become Christians, I want more than just ones and twos. There are many people in this city, says in the book of Acts. There are many people in this city who have yet to experience salvation. Maybe there are some of you in here this morning that have yet to really receive Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, as the one that can change your life, as the one that can completely turn your world upside down for the good. There are many people in this city. So, corporately, we're called to respond to pressure. We have to be ready for it. You see, and when we do it together, we're able to bear up under it, especially with the Holy Spirit's help. So, I'm behind on my points because my clicker isn't working. The bottom line is, folks, is that we're in this together. We're in this together. And the reality of it is, we must learn to pray together. We must learn to pray together. You know, it's awkward to pray together at first. But it's necessary. And the reality is, is God's calling us to do this. So, I want to take this opportunity to speak into uh, our corporate prayer together. And the reality of it is, folks, is that we have to be more diligent in praying together as a church. About two years and four months ago, uh, at that time, Joe and I... uh, came up with, um, and this I think this was prior to Kevin being an elder, so that's why I'm not mentioning Kevin's name in this one, but through separate circumstances, that summer uh, of 2009, we both read the very same books, and they were books um, on the subject of prayer. And we came together uh, in having one of our meetings through the summer, we just, both of us came together And we recognize that God was calling our church to be more diligent in corporate prayer. And up to that point, we've been praying as a church once per month on a Sunday night. And we said, no, we need to to start meeting every Sunday night for prayer and make it a priority in the church. And it's to the point now where even on Sunday morning, we don't even want our announcements to overshadow our tag meeting, our Together Asking God prayer meeting. We want that to be the focal point of our announcements. And this morning, it wasn't mentioning the announcements because I'm going to speak about it. You know, and it's a really difficult thing when it comes to talking about coming to a prayer meeting. Because you don't want to, you don't want to have that, you don't want to come across as being heavy or beating the sheep. You know, that kind of thing. That, that's just ugly. But the reality of it is, is that it's got to be priority for us. It's got to be priority for us as families. It's got to be priority for us as individuals. So if you're not married and you don't have kids, I'm asking you, like, take a look at your schedule. What's your schedule like? And move something out of the Sunday night slot. 
if you have kids and you have a family and, and, and life is busy, it might not be every Sunday night that you can be there, but one of you, if you're married, maybe you can go on the off week. And this is not to just get a bunch of numbers there. This is not just to have a, a, you know, a greater turnout. Who cares? Really. But you want to have people there who can learn to pray together because it does take some learning. It does take some learning because when we come together, we have, we have some things to take care of that are not, let's just face it, for the most part, individual prayer needs. We're learning to pray for the corporate needs of the church. And I'm not going to kid you, there are weeks that I show up for, for prayer that I just don't want to be there, folks. I like I'd much rather I like I'd much rather be watching my beloved Patriots if they have the late game. I'm just being honest with you. Because my flesh doesn't want to pray. The last thing my flesh wants to do is to pray. Paul says, I get this, I beat my body into submission. You starve the flesh. You say, you know, you know what? I'm going to prayer tonight. And again, this is not to sound like it's a heavy. But we tap into a different kind of meeting on a Sunday night when we pray. It's a different kind of meeting than this this morning. As good as this is this morning, we worship, we come into God's presence. On Sunday night, we worship, we always worship, but there's a different sense, there's a, there's a tightness, there's a cohesiveness. And there's this sense that we're touching God's heart because He moves by His gifts of His Spirit on a Sunday night in many times, seemingly more powerfully on a Sunday night than He does on a Sunday morning. Although God's power is, is the same on a Sunday morning and Sunday night. But it's a different sense to it. But folks, we're under pressure. We're going to be under pressure corporately. Joe just spoke about our need financially. There are other needs that we have. And God is calling us, He's calling us to come together. You see, we're in partnership together to be passionate about being together in His presence as a church. And Terry Virgo talks about this. He says, you know, we have to be importunistic about prayer. In other words, we have to be totally insistent with God. In other words, we have to be consistent in our insistence. And God will answer prayer. And we've seen Him answer prayer many times. We spent months since, uh, well, four months, five months, since uh, the end of July praying for Reese and Sarah Scott to sell their house. Guess what they did this week? They sold their house in London. They're in Vancouver. They're planning a church in Vancouver. They were literally weeks away from losing it, if I can say it. They were weeks away from totally going behind because they had to carry a house in London, one of the top most expensive cities in the world, to living in Vancouver, which is one of the top five most expensive cities in the world, paying a mortgage and paying rent. And so they're like, praise 
God, as I said, I said to Reese the other day, I said, that's an answer to prayer. And he says, absolutely. And we as a church have been praying for that. So you see, we're insistent. We keep praying we, every week. God, would you just sell their house? Would you just sell their house? You see, what happens is faith grows as a result of answered prayer. And corporately, when we're together, we see it individually, God answering prayer. But corporately, when we're together and we see prayer answered, it builds our faith, not just individually, but builds our faith corporately to say, you know what? Our God is with, not me, with us. Our God is with us and he is moving us forward into his purposes. It's not about me. Although in His grace, it is. It really is intentionally about us. The New Testament is written about us. It's not about me. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no off on a desert isle somewhere Christians. We're us. We're together. And you see, faith grows a result. And on top of that, His gifts will flourish in the church. And when I say his gifts, I'm not just talking about tongues and interpretation and prophecy. Gifts that I have a lot of faith for. I'm talking about, I want to see gifts of miracles happening. Which I believe are going to be unleashed in the church corporately. When we have that mindset that corporately we're in this together. You say, where are the healings? Where are the miracles? I believe that miracles and healings such to the degree that we've not seen are going to happen corporately. I think it's when we come together corporately that that's, that's, it's, that's the birthplace of some of the gifts of the Spirit that we haven't experienced. Paul addresses corporate giftings. Secondly, the Holy Spirit fuels individual and corporate courage. Because, folks, we're going into a year, and we can say this every January, but you know what? We're going into a year that's going to require both individual and corporate courage. The Holy Spirit is going to continue, as He's done in the past, to strengthen us. He's going to continue to uh, to encourage us. I asked Reese on Wednesday, I was Skyping with him on Wednesday. I said, if you were to sum up the book of Acts in a sentence or two, what would you say? And this is what he said. The Holy Spirit is the orchestrator. And I looked up orchestrator because I think I know what it means, again, implicitly. But this is what it means. Coordinator of the elements of a situation to produce a desired effect, especially surreptitiously. So I'd look that one up because I'm not that smart. Surreptitiously, secret. See, the Holy Spirit is the orchestrator and oftentimes secretly. So the Holy Spirit is the orchestrator of ministry. We follow Him with the whole of our lives as risk takers. This means that our lives will be those which are marked with risks involving massive faith decisions. Not just massive faith but massive faith decisions, but secure in the Holy Spirit. Secure in the Holy Spirit. See, God by His Spirit gives us what what we need. 
And we talk about, you know, Reese talks about, talks about massive faith decisions. He's just made a massive faith decision in moving his family from London to Vancouver. That's a massive faith decision in my book. Now, I, I think he thinks that, because that's what he said. He didn't speak specifically of that, but I, I can identify with that, that that seems like a massive faith decision. You're moving your family eight time zones from your home. But notice he says a massive faith decision. We talk about faith, but actual faith requires that we make decisions, that we are action people, that we act on our faith. So as a church, we strengthen and encourage one another. So individually, you know, we we understand that God has given us courage, but together... God wants to strengthen and encourage us so that we can encourage one another. You see, as He strengthens and encourages us, He gives us boldness. And it says in the the book of Acts that they knew that they had been with Jesus because of what? Because of their boldness. And God is calling us to be bold people. To be a bold people. He's calling us to be bold in our workplaces. He's calling us to be bold with our family and our friends. He's calling us as a church to be bold and to step out. Who knows what it's going to look like in December 31st of 2012 when we look back. But I can tell you this, that it's not going to look like it does today. We had our leaders training meeting last month. I just felt uh, I brought this prophetic word in in relation to the fact that you know how when you when you look back on the previous year, there are certain things that occur in history throughout the world that you could never have foreseen. And these things become the hallmarks or the or the benchmarks of that particular year. There could be calamities like the the huge tsunami that followed the the earthquake in Japan. It could be the Occupy movement and how that grew. And it could could be a whole series of different things. But these things become the, you know, when you look into the world world book of of 2011, these are the things that stand out. And I felt like God was saying to our church that in 2012, we need to be on the lookout for these kinds of events that are going to be birthed in the Holy Spirit that really will have nothing to do with us, but all to do with us and the fact that we're partnering with God. See, because we become risk takers as faith grows upon faith. As we build ourselves up corporately in prayer, we become risk takers. And God is asking us to become risk takers, not just individually risk takers. I know a lot of people in here that are risk takers individually in your lives. But God is calling us as a church to be a risk taking church. Now that might scare the pants off some of you. But really, that call to be a risk taker comes from God himself. And he's challenging us to trust him in the risk. see, 
and this is going to make some people feel really good, we need to exercise wisdom. Oh, thank you, Gary, that you said that. Because it puts a seatbelt on our risk, and it makes me feel better because we can exercise wisdom. That means usually in our world, in the West, it means that we're going to take it real easy. We're going to think it through. And for the most part, that is true. But guess what? There's going to be times when things happen that make very little sense that God is asking us to do. It appears that it doesn't make sense. But it does make sense in God. And when we take risks that are godly risks, are they really risks? Because we've got a God that we can trust in and we can rely on for everything. kind of scares me. And those of you who know me know that I'm someone who is a bit of a risk taker. But we, I think, are all going to be challenged corporately to, um, to, take, to take the uh, idea that, that God is calling us to risk some things. We're taking some risks, um, as Joe just mentioned, financially this year. Now, to be honest... I'm full of faith in it. I don't think that's a whole lot of money. I really don't. It's going to mean that Ryan gives up a couple of Starbucks lattes every week. It's going to mean that Brent has to stop having a few Tim Hortons through the week. I don't know. Might not even mean that, to be honest, folks. Because you know what? In the grand scheme of things, for the most part, we're fairly rich. And there are some of us that are genuinely challenged. But remember this. Remember the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the woman who gave her few pennies. And her few pennies meant so much in the sight of God. You see, when we give sacrificially, if it's just a few pennies, if that's a sacrifice, we're taking a risk. It's not about what, how much one gives. It's about the motivation of the heart. Right? And I think we need to take up the challenge from, I think, God himself to say, you know what? If you really want to make the gains in reaching the lost, if you really want to do the things, then there's going to be risk associated with that. There's going to be boldness that's associated with it. And the thing is, you know, we talk about calculated risk, Right? Well, the thing is, really, is that risk is calculated in the economy of the kingdom. It's not calculated in the economy that's in recession. It's the risk that we're talking about is a calculated risk in the economy of the kingdom. And the king, in the economy of the kingdom, there's no limit. God will meet our needs. But then again, it's a faith, a massive faith decision. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Do I, am I, am, part of me will be really satisfied if we achieve our goal to have the finances come in to do what we want to do because we do have to hire somebody else to come in and to, and to take up some of the work. So part of me will be really happy if we, if we, if we get our cap at what we're goal, our goal is for, for such a small church of a couple hundred people. But I'd be really happy 
if we were beyond it. Be encouraged, folks. God has given us so much individually, we now really need to start thinking more and more corporately about what He's doing. See, we have to be courageous in giving finance, in giving our time, and in prioritizing our lives. And the thing is, is that the reality of it, you know, like I don't know sometimes how some of you do it. I don't know how some of you actually do it. But what that speaks of is the fact that we live in a world where we have so much stuff going on that we see some of it as indispensable and necessary when really, when we prioritize things in terms of the eternal aspects of the kingdom of God, some of it really doesn't mean anything. And we can prioritize our lives. It hurts sometimes. It hurts sometimes to set my feet on the floor at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'll be honest with you. It's the last thing I want to do sometimes. And it's almost mechanical. And I'm not bragging about it. Trust me. But the benefit, once once I'm able to pry my eyes open and have a shower and get my coffee in my hand, I love, I love having time with Jesus. And so, in order for it to fit into my life, in order for my life to be changed, I had to make that priority change. Because I used to be a Nighthawk. Another thing is, is we have to be ruthless and courageous about being ruthless with our idols. Talk about Jehoshaphat, one of the kings of Judah. The Lord was with with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, that is the idols, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Because Israel at that time was combining Baal worship with the worship of God. When you can't do that. So really, you want to just chuck out God because you're going to worship Baal. If you're doing both, you're really not worshiping God at all. But that's what Israel was doing. And it says, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. How courageous are our hearts in the ways of the Lord? And furthermore, he took the high places and the ashram out of Judah. And so he took out the things that shouldn't have been there. He took out the things, the idols of the nation. Are we prepared to take out the idols of our lives? It's known as I said, our. To be ruthless with them. And the thing is, is that we have to be courageous as well, in spite of the odds sometimes that seem against us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more of them with us than with him. And with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So this is 2 Chronicles 32. Another example. So we we are ruthless with our idols and we're courageous. We're courageous in spite of the odds. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit fuels unity. 
The Holy Spirit is a member of a unified community, the Trinity. And the Trinity, they hold all things in common. They love one another and they communicate perfectly. And as a result, because we're sons of the living God, because Jesus is pleased to call us his brothers and his sisters, guess what? The result is, is that he desires that for us. He desires that we are a unified community. He desires that we're together. He desires that, that we are a family. I've heard many people in our church say, you know what? My church family, we're closer in my church family than we are in my biological family. Some of you, that's the only family you have is right here. But you know what? That's pretty good. We're part of the family of God. See, we're called to be a unified community called the church. And last week, uh, I had a, a word at the end of the meeting and that God was calling us together. He's calling us to be together. The word together is repeated. It's because it's, I believe the Holy Spirit wanted it to be repeated. It's, it's not just for effect. It's, it's to get into our minds. It's to get into our hearts. Because you see, God is calling us out of individualism. And in our society, to be an individual, to do your own thing, is the religion of the society. It breeds idol worship. It breeds the idols. You see, we're called to be members of one body with Jesus Christ at the head. That means that we have to start thinking about authority differently than we do. I just think about, I just think about uh, some of the challenges that some of you have had that I know personally in coming through with this. Because you were at one time individualistic. It was about you. And then I've seen, I've seen you come out of that into the we. And you'd be able to say, I'm much more happy than I ever could have been on my own. You see, you all fit here. You cannot swallow the lie that comes from the enemy to say, I'll never fit. In fact, over the years, Joe and I and now Kevin have seen and heard many people say, I can't fit. But you know what? The reality is, some of you who said, I can't fit, you're here. Guess what? You fit. God is calling you. God is calling you because the puzzle piece that you are fits perfectly into the church. See, we're unified for a purpose. And the purpose is that the world is looking for real community. Real community isn't somewhere else. It's not in a pub on a Saturday night. It's not, you know, shining up your motorcycles all together on a Saturday afternoon or doing whatever people do in their various clubs and activities. That's not the real community that people are looking for. And, and the, the fact is that God is calling us to be a community that holds the gospel as the focal point of that community. It's founded on the cross of Jesus, where Jesus Christ took the, the, the shame and the sin and the, and the pain of that sin upon himself, actually became sin for us, and the wrath of God, which needed to be poured out on us, was poured out on Jesus Christ. And he took it all for us. He took it all for me and for you. And in the great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who had no sin 
became sin so that we might become God's righteousness. See, that's the difference in this community. And over the next number of months, we're going to be preaching into the values of this Christ community. This community that follows Christ. And over the next number of months, Joe primarily is going to speak into the values that we hold. And through that, we will gain a greater understanding of what it means to be this local church called the Meeting Place Church. Mark Driscoll in his book Doctrine in the chapter called The Church says, why should Christians join a church? And he gives ten reasons. I'll just give you a few. Salvation means forgiveness and new life in the community of the Spirit on mission with Jesus. Being Number two, being a Christian means being a Jesus follower, a disciple. Number three, real disciples. Notice what he says, real disciples commit to the church because they know they need the help of others to keep following Jesus. Five, disciples know they need to be equipped for ministry. Six, if you're wise, you know how easy it is to fall into deception apart from the productive work, protective work of wise leaders and the insightful help of other spirit-led believers. And he goes on. See, we need to be part of a local church. I need to be part of a local church. The greatest lie you're going to hear is you don't need to be part of a local church. And it will come in various forms. But over these next months, we're going to hear about our values. And we're going to be able to greatly identify with these principles. So I end with that. 